it's great to have uh, everyone here, but especially uh, our youth involved, our young people involved. Uh, I wasn't here last week. I heard you had a great service with Teen Challenge. I actually took the opportunity. I was in Belmont last week, uh, surprised Pastor Brian and Lori there. We recognized their 10 years of pastoral ministry here at Mount Hope, which is wonderful. Pastor Brian and Lori have been serving here for 10 years. I started as senior pastor 10 years ago, and uh, the first thing I did, the, I mean, the smartest thing I ever did was maybe hire Pastor Brian right, right away, um, and he's been a blessing. So when he's back here next, I'm not sure the date he's back here next, make sure you recognize that or shoot him an email or send him a card to just congratulate him on that, but it was good to be there just to surprise them uh, last week as well. Um, so this morning, just want to talk for a few minutes to young people, and this is how I know I'm old, because I just use the term young people. Um, and I remember when I was about your age, and I thought if someone on the stage uses the term young people or young person, they are old. Um, but I use that expression, but I want to take a few minutes this morning to talk to this generation. You know, there's a gap that exists in churches. I'm not sure... Uh, maybe you're aware of it, maybe you're not, uh, but uh, there's a gap in churches, about 18 to 30-year-olds, that go missing from churches, uh, churches across the nation, churches uh, around the world. It happens, and uh, it's this thing where kids will go and leave for high school and then often leave the church, and they don't show up again until maybe they have kids or they're later or something happens in their life, they go through a crisis. And I can't imagine as I think about that, that that was God's plan, or that's how God designed it. I have to imagine that that's something more a result maybe of things that need to change or adjusted or we're doing that need to be changed. I can't imagine that's God's plan for this gap to exist in the churches. So one thing we want to be careful of and always think about, and this morning is one of those things, is to say, no, we are the church together, but not only that, those of you who are sitting here this morning and around the room, this is your church. This is your church, not your parents' church, right? There's a difference there. It is your parents' church, but we also want this to be your church, a place where you feel loved, welcomed, and where you feel that you can come and know and experience and encounter God. And so this morning, I just want to talk to you briefly, and I want to tell you a story about one young man um, who is not all that different from you. He's 15 years old, growing up in a place that's not all that different from where you are, I would imagine. In some ways, it's very different. It doesn't have an iPad. Uh, he, doesn't have, uh, he doesn't have even Wi-Fi, doesn't have a computer, not even a desktop computer, doesn't have any type of screen whatsoever. In fact, this young man was living at a time in history that is 2,400 years before Benjamin Franklin would even make the discovery of electricity. So that's a long time ago. I mean, Benjamin Franklin seems like a long time ago, right? So this guy is living 2,400 years, even before that time. So some things about his life are extremely different than yours. But there's some things, and I think one thing in particular, that may be not that different from your life. In fact, he, has, he is in an ancient family, but has a modern 
problem, an ancient situation and a modern problem. And that is he is living in a place that is not affirming of his beliefs. He's living in a place that doesn't affirm his beliefs or the beliefs that his parents raised him with. He went to a school where no one believed the same thing that he did. No one believed the same. Now, some of you may be in schools where there aren't many people that believe the same thing that you do. He went to a school where no one, other than three friends that we know of of his, believed the same thing that he did. In fact, he went to a school that not only didn't believe the same thing, but taught that what he believed was not real and was not true. That the God that he served wasn't the real God. In fact, the whole school was designed to try and get him not to believe in God. His story is found in Daniel chapter 1. And I want to read a little bit of that to you this morning. And so if you have a Bible, please open it to Daniel chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, then if you would reach below your chair or the chair beside you, and there will be a Bible, hopefully, if we've done this right, um, we, uh, there should be a, a Bible in just about every other chair uh, to help you and, and to help you get into God's Word and so that you can see the words before you as I'm reading them. So Daniel chapter 1, I, have, I didn't have one of the pew Bibles, the same as you. Somebody tell me what page it is, and hopefully we've all got the same books in the chairs. I think we do. Daniel chapter 1 is on what page? 1001. No? He's, no, in your Bible. No, for real. No. <laughs> in the ones that someone took out of the chair. 737? 737. I heard 737. 737 going once. 737. I'm going to go with 737. On page 737 of your Bible, uh, the book of Daniel begins. And here's this story of this young man who is in a situation in some ways different than yours but in some ways not different. Let me speak, let me read it to you. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Okay, so I lost some of you right there. So let me just stop because you heard Jehoiakim and Nebuchadnezzar and I just lost you. So let me give you a little bit of a setting, right? Okay, so here's what's going on. Jehoiakim is the king of Judah, Uh, That's the Israelites where the Jewish people are living. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar invading from Babylon into Judah. Okay, so invading king. So he's taking over. Here's what happens. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand and some of the vessels of the house of God. And he brought them to the land of Shinar, to the house of his God, and placed the vessels in the treasury of his God. Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both of the royal family and of nobility. Now listen, listen to the kind of people he's looking for. This, maybe some of you will put this in your online profile. Perhaps this describes you. These are the type of people he was looking for. Nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance, and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace. That describe any of you? Yeah? That's the type of people he was looking for. And to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. The king assigned them a daily portion of food 
that the king ate and of wine that he drank. They were to be educated for three years, and at the end of that time, they were to stand before the king. So here's what's going. Here's what's happening. Nebuchadnezzar from Babylon, right? He is invading whose kingdom? What was the other guy's name? Jehoiakim, all right. And Jehoiakim is the king of? Judah, okay, so Nebuchadnezzar coming from Babylon, invading Judah, Jehoiakim, and he comes in, and when he besieges it, it says, he comes in, and he, what is he looking for? He's looking for youths, and he wants to take them out of Judah, bring them to Babylon, and what does he want to do with them there? Educate them. He wants to educate them in the ways of Babylon, in the ways of the Chaldeans. So, he's, so here's what he's doing. He's saying, go to Judah. And we don't only want to take over the country. I want you to go and find the smartest, sharpest, brightest, most, most talented youths that they have. And I want you to bring them all back to Babylon. And I want you to bring them back to Babylon so we can educate them in our ways. And then two things happens here. You take the smartest, brightest, sharpest, most talented people away from Judah so they no longer have that, and you put them in service of Babylon. So it's a talent drain. It's a brain drain. It's like if you were forming a sports league. And he said, we're going to take all the best players and we're going to form a sports league and we're going, to, we're going to form a football league and they're all going to be a sports league and that'll be the NFL. And then anyone who's left over, they can play in the Canadian Football League. And then you have the CFL. <laughs> and so you have, you, have, you have Nebuchadnezzar taken... I'm sorry. No, I'm really not sorry. That's true. Um, <laughs> sorry, it's true. I mean, your gray cup, it's whatever. Um, so... But you take all the, all the smartest guys and you move them and you play uh, and, they, and they, get, they go to Babylon to get educated, right? So that, that's the plan. And so they were to be educated. And among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief of the eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. Now, these weren't like nicknames, these weren't like, hey, your name's too hard for me to pronounce, so I'm going to call you a Bendigo. Um, like, that wasn't what it was. These were changing their identity because their names before spoke of the Hebrew God. And so now they're going to give them, God, they're going to give them names that speak of the Babylonian God. So they're, they're going to immediately, right off the bat, they're trying to change their identity by changing their name. And so they give them new names. Verse 8, but Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or with the wine that he drank. Therefore, he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief eunuchs. Say that with, say, say, and God gave Daniel favor. Say that with me, ready? And God gave Daniel favor. God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear the Lord, the king, who assigned your food and your drink. For why should he see that you were in worse condition than the youths of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. So he's saying, look, I've been told to give you this food. And this food is the stuff that's going to make you healthy and it's going to make you strong. And this is what the king wants you to eat. And if you don't eat it, you're going to be emaciated. You won't be healthy. You won't be strong. And it's my head that's on the line. In other words, if you don't turn out the way you're supposed to turn out, I'm going to get killed. Daniel hears that. Uh, and he says this. Then Daniel said to the steward, 
whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Test your servants for 10 days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you. And deal with your servants according to what you see. So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. So Daniel says, look, I got a win-win for you. Just let us try it for 10 days. And see if we don't look even better than the ones that are eating the food from the king's table. So he, he offers him this situation. At the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the other youths who ate the king's food. That's a good thing. So the steward took away their food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. And as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in visions and dreams. And here's what happened. Here's what you have. You have this Daniel who is in a situation where he is living amidst a culture that is hostile to his beliefs. And he's taken away from his home, and he's given this decision. And two things, he, two things happen. One is a great temptation, and two, there's a great boldness on Daniel's part. There's a great temptation. He was a long ways from home. The people that had taught him and cared for him, or cared about the choices he would make, were not around. No one was around that had taught him and led him and brought him up. He's 15 years old, 15 years old when he's brought in. And no one was around that would know what he's eating or what he's not eating. No one would know. So he's got this decision before him, and he's got this pressure that's put around him. The people that cared about him, the people that would, he would be accountable to aren't around. It would be much easier for him to eat what was just put in front of him. It also would have been easy for Daniel to start to wonder, where is God in the midst of this? He is taken away from the city of God. He has had the holy things of his God taken away from his city, and he's brought into this foreign city. And maybe in that situation, he'd start asking, where's God? How could it be that things are not going well in my life if God loves me? How could it be that things are difficult for me if there's a God who loves me and is all-powerful? And it could be sometimes you find yourself in situations where things get difficult, and it may be tempted to say, where is God in the midst of this? Where is God? How can it be when things personally go wrong and are difficult in my life? Is it because God has forgotten about me? Or the people that were teaching Daniel would have been trying to tell him, your God doesn't exist at all. Look how powerful we are. We just took over your whole nation. We took you out of your place. How powerful can your God be? Daniel, there would have been tempted just to live the way that the others were living around him. There was amazing external pressure for him to conform. Literally, everyone else was doing it. I mean, you might tell your parents sometimes, oh, everyone else is doing it. And by that, you mean there's a few people that are doing it or most people are doing it. In Daniel's situation, literally everyone else was doing it, except for Daniel and these three friends of his. Amazing temptation, amazing pressure to conform that was around him. What would you do if you were in that situation? You're in the situation where you're taken away from all that everyone that cares, knows, and loves you. 
and you're in a situation where you know what you're being asked to do isn't right. Yet in that time and in that moment, Daniel has a, ch- has a chance and a decision to make, and he takes a bold stand. He takes a bold stand, and he says to this person who's over him, he makes him this offer because he resolved not to defile himself. And he trusted in God in this situation. No doubt Daniel had known the stories saints before him like Joseph, who also found himself in a difficult situation through no fault of his own, and yet God was with him. There's two ways, you know, when a, uh, anyone uh, ever heard of the Mariana Trench? You hear of the Mariana Trench here, yeah. What is the Mariana Trench? Deepest trench, not only the Pacific Ocean, deepest spot in the world, Right? Deepest, deepest place in the world. It's, uh, it's deeper uh, than Mount Everest is high, right? So you go, you go down into the ocean as far as you can go. The spot, the deepest spot is the Mariana Trench. James Cameron did a documentary on it not too long ago. They took a submarine. Only two submarines, uh, manned submarines, has ever, have ever made it down there. And, and so to go down to the Mariana Trench, they take this, this submarine-type thing, and in order, the biggest danger... What's the hardest thing about getting down to the Mariana Trench? Yeah, right? It's, it's the pressure. It's the pressure. It will collapse a normal submarine like a tin can. It's the external pressure of being down tens of thousands of feet below the surface of the water, and you have all that weight of the water and pressure on the water. And so you build these submarines with incredibly strong walls, and you design them in such a way to withstand the pressure. And when they go down, and they keep going deeper and deeper, and they keep monitoring the structure and to see, is it going to break? Is it going to crack? Is it going to withstand it? And they go deeper and deeper, and they go down there. And what do they find when they go down there? Not much. Not much. But they do find some life, and they do find, surprisingly, some strange fish that live down there. And these strange fish don't actually have submarines around them. They're just swimming around the bottom of the Mariana Trench. And yet, how do these fish without this strong submarine around them survive? Well, it's not because they have such a strong outside to withstand the external forces. It's because they have the same pressure on the inside pushing against their outside that measures and that regulates the pressure so that the external pressure doesn't overwhelm them. And when you come into situations where you're tempted to compromise or where you have amazing external pressure, it isn't always that you have to build up a strong outer defense as much as it is, is what is on the inside inside of you? What is it that the Lord, you have that encounter with God, and you have that encounter with God inside of you, and you have such a presence in you that it withstands the external pressure. And so it's not so much building up just that strong outside, but regulating what's internal. So So Daniel takes his stand. He resolves to stay true to God. He treated the officer with dignity and respect, presented him with a win-win, and with God on his side, he presented this option, and God showed him favor. And there's times in your life where you will also face decisions. 
Maybe you feel it now. Maybe you feel like you're the only one in your school or your circle that's serving God. The question is, will you allow the culture around you to shape you or will you shape the culture around you? Because there's more to Daniel's story. There's more to Daniel's story of what had happened. Let me continue on and pick up in verse 17. Daniel 117 says, As for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. <clears throat> and the king spoke before them, with them, and among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. So Daniel ends up not being affected by the culture he was put in, but actually making a positive effect on the culture that he was put in. Suddenly the king sees in Daniel something that he didn't see in anyone else that was in his court. And he elevates him to a high position and actually he serves in his kingdom in the chapters that go on and Daniel makes an effect on the culture around him. The question is, will you allow the culture around you to shape you or will you shape the culture around you? You know, sometimes you can look at the culture around you and you say, well, look, everyone else is doing this. But the question you have to answer for yourself is what's true? Is what's true and how will you live your life? It's like this, when uh, any... You start driving. I know you guys won't drive above the speed limit, but believe it or not, I'll tell you a secret. Some of the adults in this room sometimes drive above the speed limit. Um, So you're on a highway, and it's 55 miles an hour, and everyone is driving 65 and 75, and you are too. And you're driving, and you feel safe, and, and you're driving, and then a police car pulls you over. And they pull you over, and they say, hey, starts writing you a ticket. And you say, whoa, what are you doing? You can't write, well, you were going 65. Well, yeah, in a a posted 55. Well, yes, but everyone else is going 65 here. And and, and some of them are going 75. And that guy that just flew by us, I think is going 85. And you tell that police officer that. And he continues writing out your ticket. And he hands it to you and he says, thank you very much. Have a nice day. And when you go to court, you start to argue before the judge. Well, wait a second. Judge, you don't understand. You know, we're on, we're on this highway and nobody's driving. Everybody drives 65. Everybody drives 75. Nobody's driving the speed. And the judge says the standard that you are judged by is 55. So no matter what everyone else is doing, the standard that you were judged by didn't change. And what you have to decide is, will you change the culture? Will the culture around you change you, or will you change the culture around you? Because it is that the standard around us, no matter what everyone else does, doesn't change. And so you have to determine what that truth is and to live your life by it. Will you shape the culture or allow the culture to be shaped by you? Because what Daniel did didn't just wasn't just a stand for Daniel. It actually affected the culture around him. And then later on, I'm not going to read these instances for you. You might have heard of them, but let me just refer to them. 
There's two more instances in the book of Daniel where these four guys take a stand. One is when their names are changed, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, Hanai, Mishael, and, and Azariah. They are in a situation where they are being told to bow down to a gold image of Nebuchadnezzar, and they won't do it. And they say, we're not going to do it. We won't do it. And they're older now, and they say, well, you're going to get thrown in a fiery furnace. And they say, well, even if you throw us in, our God is able to save us. But even if he doesn't, we won't bow. And so they go in the furnace. They go in the furnace, and God spares them. They come out. The Bible says they didn't even smell like smoke. I love that detail of the story. And then Nebuchadnezzar says that the God of Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah is to be reverenced and feared above all other gods. And so not only were they not affected by the culture, but they had an incredible effect on the culture around them. And so one more instance. You've heard of Daniel in the lion's den, right? How old do you think Daniel was when he was in the lion's den? What's your guess? 16. 16? That's like what I picture him. I picture him like 16, 17, like being in the lion's den, and he's thrown in there. I think I, I like 16. Like I, that's how I always pictured him. So I was looking at this story a little bit more. He wasn't 16. He was a little bit older. He was like 19. 19. He was north of 80 when he was thrown in the lion's den. So he was somewhere in his early 80s. So I don't know why we always have this picture of this young Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. But here's the thing. He was north of 80 when they said, look, Daniel, if you don't stop praying to your God, you're going to get thrown to the lions. This was nothing new for Daniel. He had experienced external pressure all his life, all his life. He had been living in a place that had been trying to conform him to their ways. So Daniel went and prayed to his God. They threw him in the lion's den. And God spared him at 80 years old, north of 80, and God saved him. And when he came out the next day, the king at that time, which was then Darius, he said, the God of Daniel shall be reverenced and feared. And no one can say anything against Daniel's God. He wasn't shaped by the culture, but he changed the culture around him. He lived his entire life over 80 years in a hostile place that not only did not believe, but they did not reverence. They were hostile to him and his God. And yet when he was 15 years old and he was 80 years old, he wasn't affected and changed by the culture. He changed and affected the culture around him. And you have the opportunity to do that too. You have the opportunity to do that with your belief you know, the power of belief, the power of conviction can change a lot of things. How many of you have heard of a, as a little shoe brand called Nike? Any of you heard of Nikes? Yeah, some of you heard of them. He's a little, little startup. Um, 
maybe hard to believe, but they weren't always what they were. Nike right now is a $10 billion company started by Phil Knight, who was the co-founder of it. When Phil Knight started it, he started it as Blue Ribbon Shoes. Would you buy Blue Ribbon Shoes? Started as Blue Ribbon Shoes with 50 bucks as a small loan, and he basically lied to all the Japanese shoe manufacturers about what he was doing and what the market was. But they started it out because nobody was buying shoes in the United States. Nobody was jogging. I don't know if that's hard for you to believe. But the only people who wore running shoes when Phil Knight started Nike were people who ran in track. The only place you could sell running shoes, sneakers, was at a, at a track event at a college campus, at a high school campus, for people who needed to buy sneakers. The co-founder, Phil Knight, says, how did it happen? How did it go from being blue ribbon shoes that nobody knew to a global brand? Belief, he says, is irresistible. Nike didn't allow the culture to shape their convictions. Eventually, their convictions changed the culture. Not only did they continue to innovate the sneaker until everyone wanted to wear them, but they wrote a book on jogging. They literally uh, wrote a book on jogging in the 70s and turned running for fun into a fad that continues to this day. Phil Knight says, I'd tell men and women in their mid-20s not to settle for a job, a profession, or even a career, but seek a calling. And that's exactly what Daniel did. The fact that Phil Knight, what he did is he says it was the conviction of belief. He says belief is irresistible. He says when a person is stuck in their convictions and belief, that that belief and that conviction becomes irresistible. It would have been easy to, for a company like that. I'm sure there were many companies that didn't become anything. But Phil Knight stuck with his belief and it became contagious and actually changed the culture. You have something that's much more important than sneakers. You have the truth of the living God that has been given to you. And your belief can be squashed and changed by culture. And to be fair, to be honest, I think that's why a lot of, that's one reason why a lot of that gap exists in the church. It's hard. It's not easy when you become 18 to 30 year olds and you're going out in this culture and you're living your life. You will have pressure not to live for God. And that'll be, and that'll be a challenge. And it'll be a challenge for you to live for God. But the question is, will you be shaped by the culture or will you be a culture shaper? Will you be someone who stands for God and then changes the culture around them? Don't allow culture to shape your belief. Believe and allow God to use you to shape the culture. There's many young people who start out with great courage and conviction for God, but eventually that conviction fades out and dies. The culture shouts them down, and it's hard to live in that place. So as we close out this service today, I'm going to ask those who are going to sing, and uh, I'm not even, Jonathan's coming, and uh, we're going to close out our service and worship. But as we do, there's this challenge for you, all of us really, because believe it or not, these adults, these older people that are sitting around you, they are not immune either to the pressures of the culture around them. Believe it or not, some of these adults sitting in these chairs feel the same pressures that you do. Will we conform to the culture around us? Will we be shaped to the culture or will we be culture shapers? And so this morning, I want to pray for you, but I also want to ask you to make that decision for yourself. You live in a place, you live in a time 
where culture wants to shape you into its image, wants to give you a new name, wants to say, no, 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 the name of Christ, the name of Christian. No, no, that's not your name. Or maybe that's your name when you're in church for an hour and a half on Sunday morning, but that's not your name when you're in the classroom. That's not your name when you're in the workplace. That's not your name when you're in this space. They want to give you a new name. They want to change your identity. And they want to get you to, act. hey, if, you, if we can get them to act and live this way, then we can get them to believe this way, then this is the person you become. Because that was a strategy of Nebuchadnezzar, right? Eat this food, educate this way, act this way, and then you'll start to live this way, and eventually you become that person. That's who you are. And will you resolve like Daniel to live for God wherever God places you? And wherever God puts you. You know, we celebrated communion a few minutes ago. And I was thinking about this aspect of communion and this service. And the words of Jesus where he said, As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And we make communion. You know, we have these fancy trays. And they look great. And, and, and this fancy table that looks great. And, and it's good because we're, we're recognizing the importance and the value of this time. And that's why we have these things. But I also know when Jesus said this to his disciples, he was sitting around a dinner table. And he was having bread and wine as they often would at many meals. And he says the words, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And I thought about you guys. And I thought about, I wonder if maybe when you go to school, maybe there's ways like Daniel that you could do things that would remind you of Jesus. And so as often as you do this, this is why at a meal we'll sit down and we'll ask God's blessing and we'll we'll seek his grace because we remember, God, this is from you. We are remembering you at this meal. So maybe you come at lunch and you pack yourself a grape juice juice box and some crackers. And they just look like a snack to those that are around you. But maybe you in that moment resolve in your heart to remember Christ. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. I'm not trying in any way to downgrade the importance of what we do here as a church together. But Jesus... Jesus didn't make it complicated. He said, remember me. Perhaps there's times in your school, in your day, set an alarm on your watch, on your iPad, on your computer, that just reminds you to remember Christ, to pray, to think about him throughout the day, to put things in your life that will resolve in your heart to be a culture shaper. Father, we thank you for your goodness and your grace. God, I thank you for each and every one of these young people. Lord, and I thank you for the work that you are doing in their life. It says in the book of Philippians that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. So God, I pray that over the lives of every one of the youth in this church every one of the children in this church. Father, I pray that the work that has begun in them, the work that you began in them, you will be faithful to complete in them. 
Father, that each and every one of them, God, you will protect them and fill them with your spirit in such a way that it withstands the power that is outside of them, that is trying to get them to compromise, that is trying to get them to conform, that you would place your name upon them and the power and the spirit of Jesus Christ that lives in them. God would give them the strength to stand, to resolve to be a culture shaper and changer for you and that the world around them would be different because of their conviction and belief and following of Jesus Christ. Lord, use them. Use them right now. At 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, or 20. Lord, use them right now. Daniel was 15, God. And we are reading about his story 3,000 years later. God, use these young people. Touch them. Move in them. Make them culture shapers and world changers for you. Bless them. Protect them. Keep them. And Lord, teach us as a church, all of us, to love them and lead them in your ways. In Christ's name, amen.